um, show of hands, how many of you travel for work, go ahead and raise your hand, or had a mom or a dad that traveled for work? Just let me see. Yeah, quite a few hands up. Um, my dad didn't travel uh, much as, as a, when I was a kid. He didn't travel much, but he did have this one project. He was a, a general contractor that was in a different part of the state of Wisconsin. And, um, and he would have to go to that for like a year or two. He was there, you know, quite a bit. And I remember, I was probably in elementary school, I remember like when he came home, you know, like we got, all got excited and that kind of stuff. And he would walk in the door and be like, hello. You know, that's Nick Donna from Wisconsin. Hello. And like, Dad, you know, like that. And, and we'd all, he's not here today, so I can make fun of him. Um, he, and we'd all, yeah, Dad, and go run and hug him. And my sister, this actually became a tradition during this period of time where she would yell, clear the way, from wherever she was in the house, and just go running to dad and give him a big hug. And then just like every kid does, we would ask him, what'd you get us? <laughs> right? You know, and, and, and he would smile at us and say, I got you me. And we'd go, oh, you know, and we kind of like, pester him and follow him around the house and sure enough if he's like unpacking his bag he'd maybe pull out some trinkets or like something from the job site that he was working on and we'd have toys to play with that kind of stuff you know fast forward however many years and now I have kids I don't travel that much Christy travels more than I do but um you know I do travel some and you know come home like dad or Christy comes home as mom you know and my kids run up and give us hugs and and they say, what'd you get us? And, you know, well, we got you, you know, I got you me. And my kids say, and that is all I need, Father. <laughs> you know, and then we hold hands and pray, you know, <laughs> something like that. No, that's not how it goes at all. You know how it goes. It's, you know, what'd you get us? Nothing. Ah, you know, the whole thing. Uh, you know, as kids, we're kind of like, we get to, you know, what'd you, you know what, what do I get? How do I get it? What do I get? How do I get it? That kind of thing. And. I think there's a similar dynamic that goes on in faith. And I, I honestly think that it's, it's fairly natural. Um, early on in our faith journeys, it's kind of like that a little bit. We come to God because of what he can do for us. And you know, we're, we're, you know, like the idea of like, is, there is a God of the universe, and if I can somehow be on that God's good side, you know, it probably would mean good things for me, correct? You know, that kind of thing. And honestly, I don't think that God frowns upon that at all. I think he wants us to come to him. I think he wants to give us good things. And um, he, obviously, I think he believes that the best thing for us is for us to be close to him, to follow him. So there's a lot in it for us. But I think we can all agree, like any relationship, for our, our faith to mature, it needs to move past that. You know, it needs to move past the, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. What did you get me? How can I get it? What did you get me? What, how can I get it? Our prayers need to become deeper, right? Our prayers, if you're a person of faith, if you, you could picture maturity and mature faith being like, no, it's, it's, it's not just about me. Um, it, needs to, it needs to ultimately be about him as the God of the universe. We kind of start making sense. Okay, he's God, I'm not. And so we mature and we grow that way. This series that we're in is called Ambele. And it's really about growing in our faith and, in, and ultimately our trust of God and trust in God. And we've characterized it, we've kind of drawn the parallel that our, 
relationship with God is not dissimilar to rock climbing where there's a rope and there's a person belaying and there's a person on the rock and God, you know, like God's in control of our lives and we can trust him, we can trust the rope, the rope's really strong. Um, we don't need to be afraid even though we're doing scary things, that kind of thing. There's a lot of great parallels. And today we've looked at the life of Joseph and how he trusted God in incredible ways and we've challenged ourselves to think about how we might trust similarly. Today I want to switch gears completely and move from Joseph in the Old Testament to Jesus in the New Testament. And part of that is on purpose because with Easter coming up in two weeks from now is Easter Sunday, which is all about Jesus. If you grew up in the church, you know that. And we said, well, let's start talking about Jesus. And let's start talking about Jesus, not the way that he trusted God, but let's talk about how we can trust God through Jesus and what that relationship would look like. And it's kind of cool because... The idea of, like, we can be on belay with the Father following the path of his Son. That's kind of what we're going to look at in the next couple of weeks. Did you know that the word Christian actually just literally means little Christ? It means a mini, mini Christ. That's all we're trying to be. If, if you call yourself a Christian, we hope, you know, like, we hope that you want to follow Jesus. You want to follow and be like him. You want to become like a mini Jesus. And that's what we're here to help you do. That's like why we exist as a church, actually. And, and it's kind of this cool idea of like it, put it into the belaying and the rock climbing analogies. Not only, not only does God, you know, is God, can we trust him, God the Father, and he's directing us. Not only did God give us rules and laws to live by, he gave us so much more than that. He gave us his son. That's what Christians believe is like God gave the law in the Old Testament, but that, that wasn't, people weren't getting it. It was hard to follow those rules. And what did that exactly look like? So he sent Jesus, his son, to be the perfect example of what that following looks like. It's actually kind of cool if you think about it, that God would care for us enough, not just be like, this is what I want you to do. Go do it. This is what I want you to do, and this is how. And I will do it for you. I will do it with you through my son. It's, beautiful. it's this beautiful aspect of Christian faith. So as we're climbing, it's kind of the imagery of like we're on belay with, with God, but we're also following the line of his son, which is good. But it's also challenging at times, isn't it? It's kind of a double-edged sword. It's harder to find loopholes. You know, like rules, we're like, well, but, you know, here's the line. Am I going up to the line? And then we look at the, you know, you look in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament that chronicle the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and you start to see he didn't do that. <laughs> he wasn't looking for loopholes. He wasn't trying to figure out what he could get away with. We find this pure, perfect son of God, and it, and it says, follow him. It's kind of challenging, isn't it? Here's the premise that I'm working off of for, this whole, for the next two weeks at least, maybe even into Easter. I'm not quite sure yet. But the big idea is really this. If you follow Jesus long enough, he's going to ask you to do something you don't like. If you follow Jesus long enough, he's going to ask you to do something that doesn't make sense. If you follow Jesus long enough, he's going to ask you to do something you don't like. You don't want to do. But that's part of following Jesus. You know, you're going to come across something you don't, you're not always going to agree with. 
It's not going to be easy. It's something maybe you don't understand. But here's the reason why I think this is so important. This is why, I mean, it's a really simple statement, guys. Like, really, like, that's not that profound. But it needs to be said. Because if you want to follow Jesus, and maybe if, if you're new to faith, and like, it, in fact, maybe you're feeling this right now, like you're, you're standing on the precipice of faith, or you, like maybe your faith is increasing, maybe you've been a Christian for years, but there's just something happening right now in your life, and you're like, I'm not sure about that. I don't know if I agree with that when I read that in the New Testament. I don't know, I, that sounds difficult. I don't get that, and you're kind of pushing back. I want you to know, it's pretty normal, because if you follow Jesus for long enough, he's going to ask you to do something you don't want to do something that doesn't feel natural, something that you don't like. But what we're going to learn today, I'm hoping, I'm hoping we can, I can make this clear today, is that's exactly how it's supposed to be. That, that there's a reason why it feels unnatural. Um, I, I'm hoping to see that, that, that we're right where we're supposed to be. Even if it's like, I don't know if I can do that. It's a natural progression in our faith journey. This is kind of fun. So Easter and all, we're going to get, you know, get Jesus into, you know, the next couple weeks. We're going to look at the Gospels. And specifically, I want us to look at a couple of passages. Jesus does a lot of great things, and people respond in lots of cool ways. I want us to look at some passages and today and next week specifically, where Jesus loses followers. <laughs> where Jesus, like people literally click the unfollow button on Jesus because of what he said or what he did. And it's, just, to, just so you know, it's going to challenge you a little bit. It's going to challenge me. It's challenged me in the preparation of it. Like, gosh, what do I do with that? With what he said and what he did here. And that's okay. Because that's part of being a follower of Jesus. Uh, John 6 is where we're going to be today, and we're going to hop around quite a bit. If you want to open up your Bibles, it would be a good day to do so, but we'll have all the words up here because we're going to go through. It's a really long chapter. We're not going to read it all because it's too much to read, but uh, we'll walk through different portions of it. If you grew up in church, you're probably familiar with it. It's the feeding of the 5,000. It's this miracle that Jesus did, one of his hallmark miracles, truly, that I'm sure... You know, like when people were talking about Jesus and heard about Jesus, they probably heard about this one. I mean, feeding 5,000 people is a pretty big deal. It goes like this, John 6, verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. Now, anytime that the Scriptures, the New Testament, Old Testament, mention geography, it's because it reminds us this was written to somebody. This, the, he was, the person who's writing this is giving a reference. This is a reference that we can actually um, understand. I probably should have put a map up, but if you can picture the nation of Israel it, um, or modern-day Palestine, it's this long, skinny nation um, along the, what would be, the east side of the Mediterranean Sea. Jerusalem's kind of in the middle or like the lower middle portion of it. And then up towards the north is the Sea of Galilee. It's a really big um, freshwater lake. And um, John is putting, in the previous chapter, Jesus was in Jerusalem. Now he's next to, the, on the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. To put it in perspective, that's probably about 100 miles from Jerusalem 
to Galilee. Now, he'd been in Jerusalem, and people were flocking to him because, like, like, people just like Jesus. And, and that, but then this, you have to think, this is like a five- or six-day journey north, 100 miles to the Sea of Galilee. And John still records this, and a great crowd of people followed him. Like we're going to learn here in a second, thousands and thousands of people took that five or six day journey just to be near Jesus. That's the kind of magnetism this man had. And this is important because John's readers would have gotten that immediately. Wow, thousands of people went all the way up there? It'd be like, you know, like, you know, if a speaker went to go to Laramie, Wyoming or something like that, you know, and like a whole bunch of people from Denver went, like, really? You know, like that's, it's even more so than that because they didn't have cars, you know. So here's Jesus and a great crowd of people followed him and we find out why. Because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Here's, here's what you need to know. In the first century, nobody followed Jesus because of faith. They followed him because of all these crazy things he was doing. Because he healed people, and as we're going to see soon fed people, like, hey, let's go get fed, let's hang out with Jesus, you know, like, Jesus isn't, you know, he's only 50 miles from here, you know, people would come. So it says, uh, because they saw the signs and he had performed by healing the sick, then Jesus went up to the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. You can actually go to this area now, it's, it's, it's fairly unpopulated even today, it's this lake with, with some bluffs around it, it's probably not all that dissimilar to like a reservoir here in Colorado that's kind of open and arid. And there's, a, there's some mountains, there's some hillsides. And he sits down and has his disciples. And then John, anytime, John adds this note. The Jewish Passover festival was near. Period. No explanation, no other than that. And when you see something like that, when you're reading scripture and you see a, a, something like that, take note of it. Because he's trying to bring a point. Um, basically, in short, you're going to hang on to this clue for later. But the Jewish Passover festival was a celebration of deliverance. This is when the, the Israel na- Israelites were taken out of Egypt. They were, they were a slave nation inside of another nation. And the Lord delivered them out of Egypt. The Passover is the celebration of that, of, the, of, of them as slaves becoming free. Okay, that's going to be important here in a second. When Jesus looked up, oh no, actually, verse 10. Um, so there's all these people around, and, and, um, and oh, actually, let me, before we get to verse 10, there's all these people around, and, and, and Jesus, I, I think Jesus had a great sense of humor. It really makes the Gospels interesting if you picture him with a little sense of humor, because he's like, hey, um, Philip, what do you think we should feed all these people? And Philip looks at him and is like, since when did we get into the restaurant business? Like, seriously, like, how are we going to, like, and, and Philip says this, he said, Jesus, you realize this amount of people, it would take a half a half year's wage to just give them a bite. There's thousands and thousands of people. Like, how are we going to feed them? And the reason that, that Jesus asked Philip this is Philip was actually from that region. So Jesus is kind of like, you know, what are the good restaurants around here? Philip, you know, tell us, tell us where to go. And it, in another gospel, it says that Jesus, like, it actually records Jesus knew what he was doing. He was actually testing them. He knew what he wanted to do, but he's like, he wanted to see what they'd say. And they kind of scoffed, Jesus, we're not going to be able to feed everybody. He's like, well, what do we got? And Philip, so Philip goes around, and, and it's classic. He finds a kid, and you know how kids, if you're in here, you know how you get to the front row all the time? 
like at a concert or, you know, like something like, oh, I want the front row. Kids are in the front row with Jesus, and there's this kid that's got um, five loaves of bread and two fish. Do you remember this story if you were in Sunday school? And I think this is a funny, funny, like, interchange. Like, what, how does Philip approach this? Like, hey, kid, give me your lunch. You know, like, you know, and the kid's like, no, it's my lunch. And you're like, well, come with me. You know, like, hey, you want to meet Jesus? Come here. You know, like, with baiting him in, you know, stranger danger, you know, like the whole thing. Um, yeah, so there's the kid with five loaves of fish and, or five loaves of bread and two fish, and they finally get it from him somehow. And, and Jesus, Jesus does this funny thing. Jesus says this in verse 10. He says, have the people sit down. And he says, there's plenty of grass in that place. It's an open place. And so they sat down. And then John records, about 5,000 men were there. Now, does he say 5,000 men? Does he leave out the women because he believed that women were not important? No, it wasn't that. It was, it was actually common to count crowds this way by the men that were in it. But in this specific example, the 5,000 is really important because 5,000 men is what makes up a Roman legion. A Roman, like, like a big Roman army. Like you'd have you know, different ranks and different, you know, what, what's some other, like a battalion or, you know, like a, like a group of men. 5,000 would be a full legion of men. And anybody in the Roman world at that point in time that would read the phrase 5,000 men would immediately think of a Roman legion, okay? Hold that in mind too. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish, which you just got to picture, like again, you got to picture this with Jesus with a sense of humor. Hey guys, Today I brought a donut. Should we give thanks to the Lord for the donut before I distribute it among us? Let's, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for a donut. And, you know, I pray that this would be nourishing to all of our body. Now, you, no one, look at no one, none of you are bowing your head right now, which is exactly what I believe happened back then, like there. It was like, hey, let's, uh, let's, let's take these loaves and let me, let me say grace. And he literally started to pray. I don't believe anybody prayed with him. They're like, this guy's nuts. People are like, well, how is he? You know, like, by the way, I have to. Mm. <laughs> I've been staring at that all morning. <laughs> Give me a second. So he takes this bread, right? He gives thanks. And he starts distributing it. And somehow, I wish, I hope there's reruns in heaven. I really do. Like, is Nick at night going to be in heaven playing all the things that Jesus did? Because I would think, I would tune in. Did he, you know, like, like what did that look like? How did that happen? We don't know, but John kind of fast forwards in verse 12. He says, when they had all eaten enough, had enough to eat, that, you know, this, this would take hours, right? I'm sorry, I still have donut in my mouth. <laughs> this would have taken hours to get all of that food out. This is a long process, a long ordeal. After all of that had been done, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Not, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets. Notice that detail. With the pieces of, of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Like everybody got to eat whatever they wanted. They still had 12. And, and this is my, my read on this is like, why, why does he say 12 baskets? Because it's like, you know how you're explaining to your friends like, dude, I caught this fish. I swear it was a 23-inch rainbow trout or whatever, you know, like, you're like, no way, no, 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 listen, I measured it, put it, I measured it on my rod, and then I, you know, let, you know like, you can, those details, this is John's way of saying, no, I kid you not, he fed all of those people, they were, in, 
there were 12 baskets left over. That's the kind of detail. That's what that tells us. No joke. This is what happened. And then it says this, verse 14. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, and picture, picture again, there's kind of this epicenter, this, this place where Jesus is hanging out. Maybe it's the top of a knoll or something, a mountain. All these people around him. Imagine this wave of acknowledgement going through that as they're all getting fed. Like, what is going on? There is not a food truck in sight. Where is this food coming from? You know what I mean? This wave of acknowledgement. And then, like, what does this mean? Who is this guy? And we find out. They began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. And Jesus is like, yeah, you're right, but don't call me Shirley. Huh? Huh? Airplane? Anyone? I, every time I read that in the Bible, I can't help but think that. Surely this is the prophet who is the one that come in the world. But then verse 15, Jesus, Jesus does something strange here. Knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, he ran away, withdrew, again, to a mountainside by himself. Jesus does this a lot if you've read the Gospels, especially I think in the Gospel of Mark. He does something, and people are like, dude, you're the Messiah. And he's like, yeah, you're right, but don't tell anyone. And you're like, what, are you afraid to be the Messiah? He's like, no, but here's the deal. The reason he was so secretive, the reason why he ran away, like, he's not afraid to be king, right? Like, we believe Jesus is king of kings, Lord of lords, that whole deal. He's not afraid to be king. He's afraid of being the wrong kind of king. And he's afraid of people. <laughs> Sorry, that was a bit of donut. Gosh, dang it. He's afraid of people looking at him like the wrong kind of king. He doesn't want to be that kind of king. He'd be king for the wrong reasons. They want to make him king because of what he can do, not because of who he is. And that's why he withdraws. He runs away. In the following verses, we're going to Breeze past him because it's, it's when Jesus walks on water. There's a storm on the sea. He calms the sea, the disciples. It was a big day for Jesus, that 24 hours. He did a lot of cool stuff. But what happens after that? This is the next day. So like the, just within 24 hours of when everybody's been fed, just about the time they're getting hungry. What happens next is so important for our conversation today because here we're going to find, this is, catch me on this, we're going to find a group of people who were with Jesus looking at him face to face. They could go touch him if they wanted. They were pursuing him. They, a lot of them had traveled from far away to go and see him. and They weren't slackers, right? They're seeing the things that Jesus did. They watched him feed 5,000. Now they're hearing rumors that he calmed that storm last night. You know how it stopped all of a sudden quickly? Yeah, Jesus. All, all of this is happening, and yet, and yet, and yet, they're about to walk away from him. A bunch of them are about to leave. And that's why this is so important. Because I don't want that for you. I don't want you and I to walk away. I want us to stay with him. So I want to look at this. This part is, so, again, you got to see the humor in the Bible. Verse 25, there's this whole jockeying. There's this whole, like, they watch, somebody's like, oh, I watched him and get into a boat. And he went on to the other side, and they go, they literally go around the lake to where he landed off the boat and that kind of stuff. They get there, <laughs> verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, oh, Rabbi, when did you get here? 
That's not what they're there. You know, like, oh, fancy meeting you here. Come here much? You know, here's the deal. Here's the deal. It's hard to hide when you want something from someone, isn't it? Have you ever had a friend that was a little wealthy? They had some cool stuff or a cool place, and you're like, hey, buddy. And you find that kind of coming out of you? It's hard to hide that. It's hard to hide when you want something from somebody. And here's the problem with, with that whole thing. And this is what we kind of know inside, and that's why it doesn't sit with us well. As long as it's about getting something out of it, as, as long as it's about getting something out of it, you won't understand it. As long as a relationship with somebody is about getting something out of them, it's not much of a relationship. Right? And this is the dynamic that's going on here with Jesus. Hey, Rabbi, how'd you get here? Jesus answers, very, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill and you're hungry. Again, right? Because a meal, even the good ones, only last by the day. You, you got full, and that was cool, and now you're hungry again. And then Jesus starts to bust some knowledge on him. He says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. Guys, 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 I know, you, you keep coming back to lunch. Can we talk about something other than lunch? Can we talk about something bigger than that, right? Which the son, uh, but the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has placed the seal of approval. Like, guys, look who you're sitting with here. God, I'm, I'm the son of God, and you're asking me about lunch. Now, here, here, we're about to find out why lunch is so important and, and kind of put some of this together. So they asked him, well, what sign then will you give? This is verse 30. Will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Which we've all prayed for before, haven't we? Lord, what can you do for me? Or Lord, if you could just get me on a date with her. Or if you could just, if I could just get this promotion, then I would know that you're, you know, like we do these, we, we say these things. What sign then will you give us just that we may see and believe you? What will you do? And then here's where it comes together. Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness as it was written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. If you're familiar with your Old Testament history, you remember, again, it's Passover. Remember that whole the, the, the celebration of the deliverance out of Egypt into the promised land. And through that process, God fed maybe upwards of hundreds of thousands of Israelites every day in the desert. There's no food around. They haven't tilled. They're, they're nomads are on the move. He fed them every day with manna from heaven. They could go out every morning and pick this, this like bready substance off the ground and eat it that the Lord provided and here, this, every good Jew in this story could not help but think, just like we needed deliverance back then, we need deliver, you know, from, from the, it, we, it was the Egyptians, right now we need deliverance from the Romans. And we just watched a dude feed us yesterday, specifically us, 5,000 men 
a whole legion's worth of men. And that's why men is important, because they're the ones that would go and fight Rome. And if Jesus could do that on the daily, hashtag manna, we're in. We got a movement. We can start a revolution. That's what they're thinking about. And for the next, like, two paragraphs, like verse after verse, Jesus, and this is so cool, because what he's about to say is difficult. And it's like, Jesus, you know, maybe he could have toned it down a little bit, but he, it, he, over the next couple of verses, it's like he's pleading with them, please understand, yeah, it would be really big deal if I went and toppled down Rome, but guess what, I kind of will in a couple hundred years through my people. Like, like Rome will come and go, the everlasting city will not last forever, but my name and my followers will. Can you guys see? This is so much bigger than food. This is about eternal life. It's about saving the world. It's about saving your soul. Which I just got to ask at this point, and kind of turn it back to us just for a second before we finish up. If you're a person of faith, are you in it for the food? Are you in it for what you can get out of it? What did you get me? How can I get it? What did you get me? How can I get it? Or are you in it for him? For who he is? Because it's the Lord of the universe that invites you to be his son and daughter, to walk with him. It's different. The, the, and, and the expression of those two kinds of faith, can we all agree, are two different kinds of faith. Are you in it for the food? Am I in it for the food? I was wrestling with that all this week. Jesus finally kind of gets to the point. In verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. Guys, it's, it's, you know, let, let, me, let me, if you're using the metaphor, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And he, of course, he's not talking about food and drink. And then he, they kind of press him on it, and he says one thing that kind of hints at, like, you know, like, like um, he says something like, but there's bread that comes from heaven, which anyone eats will not die. I am that bread. And they're like, wait, are you saying, that, like, this is getting kind of weird, Jesus. Are you saying we need to eat you? And Jesus finally just comes out and says in um, verse 53, he said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Which is a really strong statement. Like, without me, you have no life. And, and what does it mean to eat your, eat your body and drink your blood like this is like a vampire, zombie? Like, what is going on? You know, it's confusing. Whoever eats, verse 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, just in case you miss it, I'll say it again has eternal life, and I will raise them up in the last days. And in verse 60, this is where it gets sad, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Like, like, like who can take this? And then verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed Jesus. 
which had to be so frustrating for the disciples. Like, hey, we just, we, we've been working our tails off to get this thing going for you. I, I think you literally could take on Rome any time. Why are we not doing this? And now all of a sudden it's just us. <laughs> you know? Like, Jesus, can you just, I know you got to preach, like, the truth, but can you just tone it down just a little bit? There's this moment that's kind of cool. Jesus says to his, the 12, he says, verse 67, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus said to the 12, verse 68, then Simon Peter answered him, no, Lord, what you said about eating your flesh and drinking your blood makes perfect sense to us. We're good to go. Just making sure you're paying attention. or That's why you need to have your Bibles with you. I can put whatever crap I want up there. <laughs> Case in point. But, but here, I, wanna, I, I was thinking about this week. I'm like, that's what I, I want to be able to say when, things are, when he asks me to do the hard things. I'm like, no, Lord, I get it. Let's do it. I don't get it at all, but let's go. That's just not that way, is it? What Peter actually says in, in this phrase is, I, I absolutely adore, because this next line is so powerful because I think it captures the tension. If you're a Christ follower, I think this line captures what it means to be a Christian. Simon Peter asked, answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You, another translation, you alone have the words of of eternal life, we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And in this moment, this, this Peter, who if you know Peter, there's times where he gets it really right and times he gets it really wrong. But he shows the sign of, uh, I think, maturity. Where instead of just reacting to the moment like, we just lost all the disciples, I'm out too, you know? He keeps in mind everything that he's seen this man do and weighs it. Like, Jesus, I have no idea what you were just talking about. It's hard for me to accept. I understand why people are walking away, but I know this. You alone, you have the words of eternal life. I believe that. And maybe you've felt that before, too. As you wrestle with your faith as you try to be on belay with God, there are times where it just doesn't make sense. And it, this is part of the, the Christian walk, is it might not always make sense, but, and, 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 but you, you weigh it with the life that you've found in him. The way that it makes the world come to life when you start to realize what God has done in his activity in the world. All of those things that, that, that you felt maybe in your faith, and that you're drawn to in your faith, you keep that in mind as you wrestle with the reality of your faith as well. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to follow Christ. That's maturity. Because you, you alone, Jesus, you alone hold the words of eternal life. All of them, the ones that say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and whosoever believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. The one that says, come to me, all you are weak and heavy burden, I'll give you rest. The one that says, love, the, love you, each other as I have loved you. All those wonderful things as well as the ones where he says, if you come after me, you must deny yourself. <laughs> Pick up your cross and follow me. That one's also part of the eternal life package. Or this one. If, if anyone would seek to save his life, you must lose it for my sake. 
and then you'll find life. Or a verse that says, very truly I say unto you, unless you eat my flesh of the Son of Man and drink my blood, you have no life in you. This is the tension we manage as Christ followers. And to be honest, this is exactly how it should be. I mean, stop and think about it for a, for a second. Who should tell who what to do? The God of the universe or his little tiny itty bitty 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 creation? Right? Who should be in charge? Who has the best perspective on what is going on in the world, us or him? And so it kind of seems natural, right? Just bear with me. If, there's, if there is a God, if there's a big God in the universe, that getting to know that God, we're not going to see eye to eye on everything. And that's okay. And again, if you are checking out faith, stepping into faith, if you're, you're, you're maybe thinking about this, but there's things holding you back, I just want you to know you're right where you're supposed to be. Because if you follow Jesus for very long, eventually you're going to come across something that doesn't make sense. And that's okay because we just can't know everything. But here's, here's who I want to really push on this morning. And then we're done. If you've been a Christian for a long, 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 long time, and yet you would have a hard time answering the question, how is Jesus pushing on you right now? Can I just say you might not be following Jesus as closely as you thought, think you might be? It costs something. Not just when you came to him, but throughout our lives. Because the reality is, is Jesus, it's not that he's just sticking in the mud and he's messing with us. No, he's very intentionally, God through his son, is trying to change us into the likeness of his son. To be us fully. To be ourselves fully. To be Josh fully but turn into the image of Jesus Christ. That's what he wants. You think about heaven, and you're like, well, what are we going to do up there, and all that. Those are fun questions, but the reality is, you know what heaven is? Is not being afraid to fail, not being afraid of your past failures, and being perfectly who you were made to be through the Son of Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ. That's what heaven is. And that's where, if you're a follower of him, that's where you're going, period. And it's going to hurt. And it's going to feel unnatural because we're not like him yet, right? And if you have been following for a while and Jesus doesn't really push on you anymore, I want to push on you today and say you might need to up your game. Because here's what happens is like, like, like when's the last time, if you've been a Christian for a while, when's the last time you read the rich young ruler, you know, that rich dude that comes up to Jesus and says, what more must I do to be perfect? And he's like, go sell everything you have. When's the last time you read that and it wasn't metaphorical? When, when you were like, like, what if Jesus asked me to literally do that? Or is Jesus asking me to do that? Or give half away? Like, like I know, that's crazy, like, but that, that's, that's what it means. Like, eventually, he's like, I, I'm giving everything to you, right? The result, is like, like reading, what happens, I think what happens over time is we start to read the Bible, and we find our favorites, and then we make a mixtape. Or like a best of Jesus, you know, Josh's best of album of Jesus, and we just kind of go back to the highlights. Or even worse, there's a lot of churches doing this right now. 
that are just basically going through the New Testament, the Gospels with a Sharpie, and be like, Jesus didn't really say that. Or if he said that, this is what he meant, you know? And dumbing it down so it's more comfortable for us, and the result is we have a dying church. We have a dying church. We have more churches dying every day than being born, less people going to them, not because Jesus isn't relevant, he's more relevant now than he ever has been, but because a bunch of us have just done the highlight reel. And people are like, if that's what faith's about, I guess I'm out. Or there's a, another bunch of us, I'm on my soapbox, but just bear with me here, please. There's another bunch of us that have like, tried the church thing, got a, surrounded by a bunch of people who are just highlighting the ones they like, and they're like, there's not much to it. Check the box, I did the Jesus thing, I'm out. See you later, I'm going skiing. And what they said no to wasn't actually Jesus at all. But what if? What if we moved beyond that? What if we said, okay, forget what I get out of it and how I get it. Forget that. I'll make you Lord of my life. Whatever that means. What might happen to the poor? What might happen to the infirmed? What might happen to the people around us who need help? And what might happen to the people who are far from God because they've done, been there, they've done that, the whole backstory? What might they see and be inspired by and what might they come to see who Jesus really is through what we're doing? Wouldn't that be amazing? That's kind of what we're, if you're new to us, that's kind of what we're about. I just, that's our plan. That's how we're going to do this thing called church. No, Lord, what you said of, no, no Lord, you, only you hold, oh, what's the phrase? Where is it? Lord, to who should we go? You have the etern- words of eternal life. We've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Here's your application. I want you, especially coming up to Easter, it's such a great time to, to revisit Christ and to, to, to rediscover who he is. I want you to read the Gospels. Not all of them, not a whole one. I want you to pick one, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Probably don't start in the beginning because then you'll get stuck in Christmas maybe and not get past it. Start like partway through or in the middle. And I want you, if you're a follower of Christ, I want you to read until you find something that's disturbing and alarming. And then I want you to stop. And I want you to think about that and wrestle it to the ground. That's it. There's one thing of him that challenges you. Not something you understand. He said a lot of stuff I don't understand. Something that challenges your faith personally. That's what I want you to do in the next couple days. Even if you're not sure about what you believe, not sure if the Bible's true or what Jesus and all those things, I think this is especially for you. Because honestly, like, you've probably got lots of good reasons to reject or to resist faith. But again, like we were talking about before, I'm worried that what you're resisting is actually not Christian faith. And what better way than to dive into the person of Jesus Christ through the Gospels and make, it, make at the very least, honestly, you'll be more informed for it. If in the end you say, no, nah, I'm not doing it. At least, at least you'll make an informed decision as opposed to, well, my mom got burned by the church or, you know, like that I, when I heard it was a kid. If you haven't read the gospel since you were a kid, you owe it to yourself to at least check this out. See where it takes you. Because this man is incredible.
And we're going to find out more about him in the weeks to come. So don't miss out. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you are a God that, that cares for us so much that you don't just tell us what to do. You, you come alongside of us and you show us what life in you looks like. Thank you for the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, my desire is to be like your son. Our desire is that you would change us into the likeness of your son. Even today as we're singing these songs, even as we go out, some of us know you've been tugging on us and you've been pushing us in a direction and we know now, we know that we need to go and do. Would you help us go and do? We want to be that kind of church. The world needs that kind of church. Pray that you be with us as we do so. In your name, amen.